And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back. Another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation that I'm hoping helps your business grow. Look, so many of you have started a business and now you're trying to figure out what to do with it. It's not uncommon. So many of you want to start a business and you're trying to figure out how to actually do that. The biggest problem that you have to figure out is how to start creating value, not only in your own company, but also with the future clients or relationships that you need to have, whether you're B2B, B2C, any of that, you have to start figuring that out now. So as usual, I have brought in someone to help me get to the bottom of how we're going to create value early. Now, I mentioned I've got someone with me today that's going to help us get to the bottom of how we create value early. So let's go ahead and say hi to Sansi Hanal, the co-founder of Koala. Hello. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to talking about this. You know, Sansi is a is a is a multi startup founder. She's been down the road before, but no one will let us know more about her backstory better and more effectively than Sansi. So straight out of Amherst, New Hampshire, where it's probably already freezing cold. Uh, Sansi, welcome. Let's hear, hear a little bit about your background. Sure. It is getting cooler. Uh, I have uh, two jackets on the back of my chair already, although I'm, I've never done really well with the very cold weather, but I'm prepared. <laughs> Um, so a little bit about me or my background, I've spent the last, almost my entire career, but specifically the last 15-ish years in uh, startups and working primarily with early stage companies. My first company was in the retail space. I know you have specific experience in retail as well, working with um, SMBs. Uh, we grew that business to about a million in ARR, and I learned and cut my teeth on what it was like to start a company that had zero dollars in revenue and no real understanding of what the offering would be. I think as founders, we all have hunches on the value that we want to provide. And then as we have conversations in the field, we learn how to evolve that idea into something that people love, find value and will pay for. And it was really through that experience that I fell in love with entrepreneurship. I was dealing with a cohort of entrepreneurs in retail where they had put it all on the line, many of them, to start their own companies. And I was fascinated by this group of people that had a dream, thought that they could better the world in their own unique way, and went after it. And I was obsessed with supporting them in that effort. So that was my first experience. I got a taste and I thought, you know what, I'm never going to do anything else with my life. So with my second company, I know some people get a taste and they're like, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> I tell I tell people I've become completely I'm completely unemployable. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's similar, very similar. 
Yeah. 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 I just, I, I fell in love with the, well, there are so many things I'm sure we'll, we'll get to them, but the sort of autonomy, the radical accountability and the high that comes with knowing that no one else is going to come in and save you. It's up to you to make this work. Um, again, particularly within the very, very early stages. Uh, while I was there, I met my co-founders for the next company that I started called Promobox 2Xs. We're based in Boston. We're a Techstars 2011 company. I don't know if anyone listening is familiar with many of the startup accelerators in tech that are out there, um, although many of them have branched out of tech, but primarily in tech. One of them is Techstars. We were able, uh, we were accepted in the 2011 class and Promobox is a marketing technology platform that we built because of our experiences with the previous company. So it was for manufacturing brands and their independent retailers to help them essentially co-market together online. And that was a wild decade of my life. I turned around and 10 years had passed. I don't know how that happens, but it teaches, it taught me about intentionality when it comes to deciding where you're going to spend your time because you blink and it's, you know, a year has passed. So uh, we grew that business uh, to, let's see, uh, about about 15 people on my team specifically, uh, around 70 people overall at Promobox. We had a hundred enterprise level customers and about 50,000 SMBs that we worked with. And I got to experience what it was like to connect with brands like General Motors and General Electric and also Patagonia and Arteryx and New Balance and, uh, you know, around, I think it was 12 or 14 different industries. And then I uh, left and out of my experiences at Promobox, um, leading the customer-facing teams there, again, growing that company from $0 to $10 million, I started the company that I've co-founded uh, today and currently working on called Koala. And it's a play on the qualitative. And it helps customer success teams that are relationship-focused customer success teams working with their customers day in and day out to track not only how their customers are using their platforms, but also keep their eye on the opportunity balls that allow them to expand business um, while driving success for the overall company. So uh, that's what I'm doing today. And I'm really excited to be here and talk. Hopefully I can provide some value around what the last 15 years have looked like and been like for me in, in startups. And I, you know, it's funny because uh, startup years are like dog years, you know, <laughs> and it's like 10, 10 years of startup history. That's like 78 real human years, which is like an average lifespan. And and the re the question is why? And well, it's because it's mm -hmm. stressful and it puts you through the ringer. Now, one of the things that, that you know, and the subject of today's uh, uh, today's episode of Startup Hustle was once again presented by Crown CFO. Uh, thank you for Crown because that's an example of providing value. You, mm -hmm. it, like you either need to be working on creating value, you have to be seeking value, or you have to be offering value. So this is some of the things. Obviously, your current company Koala, which is spelled Q U A L A uh, dot I O, mm -hmm. and you can find a link for that in the show notes. It helps with some of that, but let's keep it a little bit general. So, where where are some of the the places that in your in your own history or your own experience, or just what you've come across? Where where do you think startups begin to? Where do you think they need to create value the most early? Mm. Such uh, the you know frankly billion dollar question or a million dollar question. Yeah. <laughs> 
So I think just to take a step back, what's so important, and I was taught this early on, and I continue to learn this lesson, is that us as founders, we have our own unique experiences. Like the reason, the experiences that I had at Promobox directly contributed to the work that we're doing at Koala. So I have my own view on things. I have the value that I want to create as a result of building this technology with my co-founder and our team. And you can be, you can really get tunnel vision when you're thinking about the value that you want to provide. And someone advised me way back when, and I think about this often, uh, that, you know, founders really get obsessed with their own ideas. And it's hard for us sometimes to envision another world and be flexible as the market or field tells us, hey, what you thought you might be providing that's important. Actually, this is a way more interesting angle of something we would pay for. So just to give you an example, for us at Promobox, as we were thinking about this in the early days, we actually launched a platform that allowed small business owners to run sweepstakes campaigns on Facebook. That was it. It was 99 bucks a pop every campaign. And we quickly realized that that was going to be a really difficult play for us. Um, And as we had conversations with more and more SMBs or specifically independent businesses, we found that just in general, getting marketing content that was value and helpful to their business was hard. And they thought, you know, the biggest way for us to get this type of content that would power our businesses from the brands that we sell. And that started to give us the idea of what would a world look like? Uh, where the you know there wasn't this fraction you know this difficult disjointed experience for consumers when they're visiting a manufacturing brand's website and then go to pack purchase from a local independent retailer, um, and it, with Koala, it's for us you know it's originally when we started the company we thought maybe this idea of amassing a great amount of qualitative data to understand overall health of companies well that actually started with overall health of employees. When we first launched our platform, we thought, is there a way to help managers better connect with what the what their, excuse me, their employee is thinking and feeling about their job? Do they have the autonomy that they need? Um, do they have the resources that they need? Are they happy with the work that they're doing? Um, and we quickly realized that actually this is something that we want to understand about our customers. And then when we started shopping the idea, we realized, okay, this is something customer success teams would pay for that's hugely valuable to them. So we talk about generating value. I know we have our own ideas of what that looks like. It's important that we hold really loosely to that. I'm sure you've experienced this. You know, you've had you have so much experience. Where hold loosely to that. Be flexible and have as many conversations as possible with your potential customer and get a sense of is what you're actually pitching something that's really interested, interesting to them that they would actually, you know pay for. That's really important. Um, So I think for us, when you're thinking of generating value, start at the source, have those conversations, and then don't always jump to the, to the solution. Really think about um, is the value that I'm, I'm providing something that's going to resonate with my cohort. I, you know, I have some firsthand experience with this. I'll throw myself under the bus because when we were building Gigabook, I went through this and um, you know, one of the, the things is we thought that, so Gigabook's online booking and, you know, we've been around for a while and when it first came out, we thought, I really just, because I'm kind of an efficiency nerd, like mm-hmm. business inefficiency, I find it weirdly, like it's painful for me to, to really wrap my arms around. So I thought people would be really excited 
to find value in the efficiency that online booking and, and invoicing and different stuff would provide. And I, I mean, long story short, very quickly realized that our users found way more value in the peace of mind that it offered. And that was like one of those weird things that you can't, it, it's like, it's, it's a tangible intangible. You know, because you can't put a price on peace of mind. What's that worth to someone else? And it turns out that our users were really, they, it wasn't the efficiency they wanted. They wanted to unchain themselves from all the return phone calls, the ones that come in at 11 at night, text messages, all this different stuff. So, you know, I think it's got to start for, if you're going to create value early, you have to start by really broadening your view and defining mm -hmm. what is value. And I mm -hmm. think one of the things that, that you, that you had on that was it's so vitally important to that is talking to the users. So, you know, there's, a, and if you've listened for a while, you've heard me tell this story before, but there's this old story about, about a shopkeeper that's so busy cleaning the store that he never gets around to opening it. Mm. And you can do the same thing with your platform or your business. And I, you know, I, 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 uh, as uh, I've been taking notes lately, um, here as we record, which is uh, the next step in evolution for me as a podcast host, by the way, Sansi, just so you know, Wonderful. Uh, it's mainly so I can, I can write down all the great things you say and maybe later take credit for them as my own brilliant <laughs> ideas. But, but, uh, I, I put a note down here that said head down product focus. This is a common issue and problem that you find in early stage companies. You get founders that, well, okay. So you might have two, if you have a tech company, you might have a couple people that they're so focused on the tech that they never lift their heads up. And you, you're right there. You are already the shopkeeper. You're not opening the store. You're not talking to the potential user. You're not creating value around the relationships that you may you, you may want down the road. Now, here's the thing is you got to start doing that early. If you want to provide value for your startup in the earliest stages, then you need to start selling what you do or building the relationships like almost before day one, because relationships, much like people dating and getting married, well, in most cases, don't happen immediately. Oh, you got to get to know you, you got to mm -hmm. find a potential suitor, you get to know them. And if you find yourself rushing into that, then you're just like someone you knew. There's everyone knows someone that proposed to someone or did something wild, like two weeks in, and then they realize a month later, they're like, Oh, idea or but business is the same thing and it now that's is that part of what you do is that i mean is that when you talk about mm. you know the 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 customer success or is koala more for businesses that have evolved a little bit more yeah such a good question um and so many things that you said resonated with me so Frankly, Koala customers range from founder teams to customer success teams of one uh, to teams where you have thousands of customers. And the reason why it works so well is it is really for teams that want to understand exactly how are our customers using our technology. I want to see what their usage behaviors look like. And I also want to capture important qualitative or narrative insights, normalize those insights over time and understand how that affects overall customer health. And we talk about customer health, we're really talking about, is that customer going to have a lasting relationship with us? Are they going to continue renewing and using our platform year over year over year? So um, that's one big thing 
um, that we, or that really is the big thing that we provide teams is a, a really deep understanding of the value that they're providing from a technology perspective um, and the value qualitatively that's being provided as, as a result of their relationships and then using that to expand the business. And, you know, it's you mentioned it's way cheaper to keep the clients you have than it is to go find new ones. And that's, I mean, that's another form of value that needs to exist. It's, uh, and, and by the way, if you can't, if you can't, man, you talk about finding value, if you're trying to build something big, um, your customer retention rate, your churn, I mean, those are going to, those are going to become the hot topics mm -hmm. after you actually get, find some people that are willing to pay for what you're offering. Yeah. So, you know, that's another form of value is like, you know, it's one thing to drive someone in and get them to pay. It's another thing to keep them around. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're in a crowded world when it comes to startups and the internet and all these different things. And uh, you're, it, I wrote about this in my book, Million Dollar Bedroom. Like if you are, if you're doing anything that that is that can be seen as successful, you immediately have people nipping at your heels to want to come be your competitor. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's the same thing with if you're not providing value, um, you know, like hey, we say this to our clients at full scale because they often in the beginning, they're hung up on the, the um, hey, I, 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 we really want to build that trust. We say, yeah, we get it. But you need to understand that if we're not providing value for you, you're not going to stick around as a client. That means I'm wasting my time right now because mm -hmm. our, our, the majority of our work is done in that couple of weeks prior to them beginning. And then those, those first couple of months, and then it kind of goes on autopilot, but mm -hmm. there's a lot of, there's a lot of things and a lot of, and you talk about dealing with companies that have lots of different focuses, sizes, stages, resources, needs, and, and it's a different value prop for all of them. So, mm -hmm. you know, that, that, that kind of stuff, I, I mean, overall, we, we went back to that whole, like, you know, the shopkeeper that doesn't want to open it, uh, in your prior two startups, did you looking back at them, did you launch them on time? Did you launch them too early or did you actually wait too long? Yeah. Uh, such, yeah, that's a good question. We launched early. Uh, and I think that actually was the best possible thing for us to do. Well, we, then it wasn't early. Exactly. That right. Was, yeah. Right. Right. I talked to founders today where, you know, the CEO or founder is like, I, I just need a few more features. I just need this sort of information on the market. I just need dot, 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 dot. And my advice to them is always, you have enough, get out there. You have yeah. enough. It usually comes from the perspective of them being too nervous about getting shut down. And for a lot of us, dealing with rejection is a muscle that you have to build. I, I no one really loves rejection. I, I think we're a little bit, you know, early stage founders are masochistic in the way that we come to love it because it means that you're getting a faster qualifier, right? You're moving down the pathway more quickly when you can get a no. And the no is in many cases just as valuable as a yes. So for first time founders, though, that muscle is new and it's not necessarily developed unless they're a founder or CEO that comes from a sales background. Uh, if they come from a sales, they have a sales background, they're strong in that area, they know what it's like to be rejected constantly, they move along, they don't care. If you have another background, you know, tech, marketing, um, operations, et cetera, it is difficult, I feel like, to to prime or get that muscle ready to, you know, so that you're, you understand what it's like to be rejected, you don't take it personally, you get some information and you move on. So 
you know, my advice to to first time founders who are doing this is to get out there and just stop making excuses, really, and get out there, get the information, start pitching. You probably don't have, you know, 60% or 70% of what you wish you had, but the insights that you're going to learn from just getting out there in the field are going to pay back tenfold. And um, that's, I would say, is, is a really big piece of advice. So at Promobox, at Koala, we launched early, um, to your point, or right on time, depending on how we want to look at it. And we got a ton of good feedback. And look, we got a lot of no's. And if we hadn't had quickly shown off our product to get those no's, we wouldn't have had a good sense on where we ought to be headed. So if you wait until things are great and packaged and exa- exactly how you envision them, your vision is likely not really what's needed in the market. So you have to be working much more nimbly so that if you build just a prototype or you know a demo or a beta, you can pivot more quickly rather than spending so much time on your live app that's now ready for launch and you know maybe is not really meeting the needs of your customer cohort. So I say well, get out yeah, there. In, in Congress with creating value early, the reason that the early beta launch, uh, a few tips for you. One, look, just set the expectations. You know, on the way in, I mean, you can have a message to say, hey, look, we're, this is in beta. Uh, we want your feedback. We know yeah. this isn't perfect. Help us get there. And it's a completely different, you, you, can, you can massage the point of view that the user has on the way in. Now, the reason that you create value for your company early is you, okay, I, once again, back to Gigabook, we, we waited too long on a couple of mm-hmm. things and I got obsessed with a few features that were important to me. Now, here's the thing. People don't buy features. They buy the benefits mm-hmm. of those. And then once we finally launched, what we quickly found is no one cared about mm-hmm. a couple of those things, which meant we wasted time and we wasted resource. And all of that is chalked up to what you can, def- what is commonly known as opportunity cost. Mm-hmm. And opportunity cost is the value of the foregone conclusion, which meant we could have, and in those cases, we could have kept the money in the bank. We could have launched earlier. But the reason that, you know, and we're talking, now you get a couple, you get, you get to begin creating value with your future users or our partners or whomever, when you are looking for feedback, you're saying, hey, look, tell us what you really want. Now you're creating this invested kind of ownership with the mm-hmm. people like, hey, look, these are problems that are real to me as your client, as your user, your client, uh, your partner, your investor, maybe even your sales channel down the road. And it's like, oh, there's someone out there that cares about solving my issues. And if they begin to see you solving those problems, now you are, now you're chasing the money. Now, speaking of chasing money, it's a good time for me to go ahead and mention that today's episode of Startup Hustles brought to you by Crown CFO, who offers fractional CFO services for businesses of any size or stage. Get the impact of a CFO for the fraction of a cost. You can visit crowncfo.com forward slash hustle to learn more. I'm curious, have you ever used fractional services as you were building a business? We have. Uh, so some fractional marketing resources, um, as well as on the financial side as well. I, I mean, you know, you're starting a company of many cases, you can't afford to hire many full-time staff. A lot of times it's just, you know, a very small team or your co-founders or the, you know, OG owner. So yeah, right. I definitely have made use of those. And honestly, we kept a lot of our fractional talent 
um, years and years and years into the business. It's not like this is a year one or, you know, zero to six months. Um, specifically well, they're on the they become advisory at, totally. at some point. And, you know, part of whether you have a fraction, whether you hire someone full time or you have a fractional person is they, you have no choice, but to pay a little bit mm -hmm. to have them learn about what you do, how you do it and how you could do it better. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, it's, a, and, and this is not related to who our sponsor is. I think one of the ways you can provide a lot, create a lot of value for your company early is the use of things like fractional services, creating advisory boards is another one. Mm -hmm. You know, you think about how, when, and where can you, can you draw value for a portion of what it could cost on in other cases or sometimes strategically. And, um, you know, I, I think that, that a lot of our early stage companies don't do is they all, they look at everyone that could be a quote user as, as like, it's almost like an adversarial. It's that like, mm. Hey, the buy, they're a buyer or whatever. Like, uh, honestly, uh, you might find a very, very valuable partner investor or something along the lines by going out and create, trying to create some of these relationships and saying, Hey, mm -hmm. look, you know, this is something we're building for businesses like yours. Would you be interested in, in working with us early? And, you know, we're not going to, yeah, now here's the thing is you can't expect to have a huge amount of revenue, if any, from that. But that, that kind of input and value uh, can very quickly put you in the driver's seat for a lot of stuff. Did you, have you taken that approach with any of the three startups you've been involved with? Yeah, specifically with a koala, actually. So I do a lot of my networking on LinkedIn, a significant amount. And I actually just had two calls this morning from people that I introduced myself to over LinkedIn. Um, I don't know if it's a, I don't think it is, um, but it could be the fact that I am in a customer facing community, customer success people in many cases are, have that give first mentality and they're really open to networking. Um, founders are as well. There are specific cohorts of people that are really, really open to having those conversations. So I am regularly on LinkedIn looking for people that are in, you know, specific roles uh, that I find will be interesting if, if, I, if I see that they have an intersection of experience between customer success and experience, or they have a background in sales and they move to customer success, um, or if they're a chief customer officer. I reach out and see if they're open to, you know, open and willing to have a conversation. I think what's important about these phone calls is that the the process is the journey. These are not one call closes. They're really not even sales calls. They are honestly me having a thesis, sharing an idea, having a thought, asking for their, you know, a little bit about their background. Uh, how have they found this topic or, you know, is what I'm saying resonating with them? We talk about their the critical goals that they want to achieve next year. We talk about the things that they're most proud of achieving this year and how their tech stack has helped them do that or not helped them do that. I mean, I really have a list of go-to questions that I ask just depending on the vibe of the meeting, but I have largely built my network from my network outside of Boston, really from those efforts. And they've been uh, amazingly, you know, an amazing amount or wealth of knowledge um, has come my way as a result of those conversations you know, I have to say that at Promobox, I spent a lot of time in my own head. Um, I questioned a lot of the ways that we were doing things. Uh, we're going to do that anyways, right? Especially being an early stage um, or as entrepreneurs. 
And I had a lot of input from our community on how other people were doing it, how they liked how we were doing it, how they thought we could improve how we're doing it. You're just a ton of information is coming your way on how to, how to get better, how to up your game. And as a result, I really turtled essentially. I sort of went inside my own head and I stopped asking for a lot of feedback because it just felt very overwhelming. And, you know, we could definitely talk about how to manage all the feedback that comes our way at, as entrepreneurs, because it's, it's worth the conversation. Um, but while I was able to, um, better cope with the role and the scaling of the company, I really put myself at a detriment when I, uh, was no longer widening the diversity of voice and my general community, you know, on a week to week basis, people that I was asking for feedback from and for advice from, and people have done this before, not done it before. And, uh, at Koala, I decided that with my next company, I did not want to do that. I wanted to ask for help as much as possible. I wanted to reach out. I wanted to have conversations with as many people as possible um, because learning is something that I'm highly motivated by. And my honestly mental why, why health. Why did you back off? Why yeah. did you back off? Because I, I mean, the, I think the default answer is we train ourselves to avoid negativity or things we don't want to hear. I mean, was that why? Yeah, it was, I think, you know, it's a conversation for a, a therapist to probably <laughs> dig into. But... We, we, we've thought about startup therapy. I mean, that, that <laughs> should be a it. real thing. And that and also exorcism. Yeah. Um, there, there's got to be an exorcist somewhere that can get the demons out of our businesses. But yeah, yeah. I mean, but like you said, there's, you know, the, it might be for a therapist. And so it, some people begin to be, the reason I ask is a lot of people yeah. begin to become depressed depressed mm. about their, I mean, it's a founder's depression. We've done an episode on it. It's saying you can yeah. legitimately, you know, like you, it's like, uh, uh, you mentioned earlier with salespeople, if you're not used to hearing, no, you start to believe it. And, yeah. you know, so do, I mean, was there a specific reason or was it maybe it's, it could also just be bad habit. You know, yeah. we just have to check our own heads and say, Oh man, there's, so I always say you got to always check yourself and make sure you're being brilliant on the basics. Cause if you're not, mm. you don't have a whole lot to build on past that. Mm. Yeah. I, I think it is probably two big things. One is that I didn't set appropriate boundaries. I let myself be completely defined by the company that I had helped create. And I, the lines were very blurred between who I was, uh, you know, who am, who am I, uh, who am I apart from the company that I'm creating? And um, who am I apart from this team that I'm building and nurturing? And also, you know, I am working with a ton of customers on a day-to-day -day basis, having, uh, you know, anywhere from 15 to 20 calls a day, in addition to working with a team of 80 people. And so I think, first of all, it was the first time I was building a team that large. I didn't set healthy boundaries from a personal perspective. I really didn't have any personal time outside of, you know, trying to drive the company forward. And it led to burnout. I didn't take a vacation for two years at one point. Um, and no one did that to me. I did it to myself. Uh, so part of me just completely stopped uh, really going out and engaging with my community. And aside from meeting with customers and, and meeting with my team, um, no one really saw me. My husband hardly saw me. <laughs> so I was, you know, I was doing what I thought I had to do to self-preserve when really some more healthy boundaries would have been better for me. I believe now in what I'm doing with Koala to set. 
I think the other thing too, that I really struggled with was feeling like I didn't know if I had earned my right to sit at the table, to have a seat at the table. And I looked around, I am in a tech hub. I am constantly interacting with talent that has accomplished in my mind in truthfully way more than I had on paper. And I was always wondering if I was about to say something super stupid, you know, I thought I'm going to close my mouth, (laughs) which is a good thing in many cases. And I'm going to, you know, uh, work with our customers and with our team and a focus on that. And I'm going to let everything else go. And um, well, I that's think a way to not cre- that's a way to not cr- provide value early is by clamming up. You, know? you have like, to be careful. You, and we talked we talked about this before we hit record as things to talk about. You're referring to imposter syndrome, which is that like, am, am I an imposter? Do I really belong here? Do I really believe here? These are all things that are are the deep seated causes of, of our own insecurities and. Mm-hmm you know, you have to get past that because also when you're, when you're working with a highly insecure mindset, mm-hmm. you're also projecting that whether you realize it or not, you are, uh, you know, and, and that's the thing is, is you say, you know, you've mentioned that a couple of times you mentioned, you used the phrase turtling up and you said, I, I spent too much time in my own head. I've been there. I hate being in my own head. It's noisy yeah. as hell up there. And I'm like trying to calm it down a lot because, uh, you know, I've, people always say to me, they're like, oh, you have so much energy and all these ideas. I'm like, they're like, it mm. must be great. I'm like, it sucks. Like, what do you mean? I'm like 99% of these things I, I will never take any action on. I would love to quiet them down, but, uh, mm-hmm. how'd you get over imposter syndrome then? Yeah. Yeah. I would say I I'm still consistently working on it. Um, but the things that have really helped me is, letting go of other people's opinions of me and the work I am doing. Um, hard to do. It's very hard hard to do. do. Yeah. That's something I feel like I'll probably work on. Many of us work on, we'll work on for the rest of our lives. Um, I started, you know, thinking of my situation as I can spend my lifetime trying to justify my experience, my skills and my intelligence to other people or I can let it go and spend my energy elsewhere, actually building a phenomenal business. So for me, it became, it was one or the other. You can't choose both because you're spending your mental energy on something that doesn't matter. So I have let go of justifying myself to other people really in many, in many cases um, when it comes to building businesses. It is yeah. very, yeah, it is it's very liberating. liberating. You know, there, there's a, a couple of things I want to point out. Well, first off, for the you're, you're listening to someone that's a founder and uh, two prior companies that had been highly successful, you know, admit level of, uh, of, of imposter syndrome or that feeling. And, and, you know, so much of what we feel is important on this podcast is, and the feedback that we get from listeners is they love hearing about that stuff. And it's not because they enjoy watching us be personal train wrecks. It's because it makes them, the, our listeners, they hear successful people, and they or we or whomever. I'm not going to say I'm successful on some days. Some days I'm I, I I'm on it. Some days I'm not. But it's important to remember that we all go through this. Like it's not uncommon to you know like I mean the, you're everyone has imposter sy- syndrome at some table. And you got to get past it. Like, do you want to be at the table or not? Because mm. you being concerned and hung up on that 
it, it, it provides no value to the situation you're in, to your situation or anything else. It's difficult to get past. I mean, it really is. It's a, it's a, the struggle is real yeah. on some of that. And, you know, that's, that's not uncommon. And, uh, you know, I've gone through that with employees, with uh, partners, with a lot of different people. And, you know, that you're not you're, you're going to limit your ability to create value in those situations. Now, now, with that, there is something that I found is those that want to often cast stones, the opinions that you that cloud your vision or create that weird resonance in your own head are usually given by people that have not, are not, and will not do the things that you've probably already done or are in the, are in the process of doing. Mm -hmm. So you got to really give some, some consideration to who you're hearing this input from, because once you start to analyze who it's coming from, you will find that you might not care about it anymore. Mm -hmm. And and so many people that are out there, you know, casting stones and shooting arrows are doing it from a different vantage point. And it's a lot of times it's their own insecurity that is making them say what they want. You know, instead of focusing on that, I, I highly recommend that you look up and you look up and see because, look, it's one thing to climb the mountain on your own. It's another thing to ask those on top to reach down and pull you up. And you'll find those are the people that you want to listen to mm -hmm. the people that are doing what you've wanted to do, how you've wanted to do it, or maybe who, who or any of it. And, and just ask, you know, just ask, and you will be shocked at, at, at the paradigm shift that will occur after that, because you're going to, you're going to go from listening to people that aren't where you're at uh, most times. And instead looking up at people that can bring you up to the level that you want to be at. And, um, you know, that's probably one of the things that everyone says, well, I don't care what everyone else says. Look, we all do. Mm -hmm. All of us care on some level. No one likes to hear anybody say bad crap about them. Mm -hmm. That's not like, well, there's probably someone somewhere that's a glutton for punishment in that <laughs> regard now. But with that, you don't, you know, and, and whether it's things you've done. Another thing too, I think when it comes to creating value that you need to consider is, if you're spending a lot of time staring in the rearview mirror, mm. your eyes are not on the road in front of you. Yeah. And you know, that's, I see a lot of, of, of people really diminish the value that they can create because they're obsessed. Like, look, if you made a mistake or you're currently making one and you know it, mm -hmm. change it. It's, yeah. I mean, mistakes are mistakes are mistakes until you fix them or yeah. stop doing them or move, move on with something. So yeah, let's, I think it's worth talking about the intersection of value and uh, sort of getting over the feeling of making a mistake or making a bad decision. One thing tactically that I've done that was a game changer for me that sort of brings those two together is that I was always worried about making the, a bad decision. And in many cases, there is no right or wrong when it comes to making that decision. And what I found was what was most helpful is that I put together five personal values that I hold. And we also put together our company values. And I found when I was trying to make a decision where I was flabbergasted on making, you know, is what is the right path forward? 
I would go back to my value set for myself and for the company. And I would make a decision that was based on those values. It's much more powerful than a pros and cons list because then you're still worried about getting it wrong. When you make a value-based decision, you can really not be wrong because it is based on well, those values you to, that you have you to share them now. You have to share them with us. Oh yeah. <laughs> my personal ones are very, 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 I have, I've shared them with my husband. Actually. I'm still, I'm still finding uh, my but voice. I, mean, I, I wouldn't, I don't want you to share them on the personal level, but yeah. You know, all right. So in my book, balance me, I actually, I believe you have three categories, personal, professional, and physical. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, you, people are like life balance. Well, it's not just work and life. Like I, I, I believe there are three categories, and what your values are personally compared to professionally can be very different. Mm -hmm. uh, however, there is an inner, there is they're 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 all intertwined on some they level, are. and like yeah. you have a hundred percent of your own value. That's a, or your own effort, and yeah, you know, if you look at, uh, you can very quickly break it down. You can say. You know, how, uh, well, let me ask. All right, so personal, yeah. professional, or physical. Now, physical, there are things that you do. That's exercising, different kinds of stuff. If you have 100 points, where do they go? Like, you have personal, professional, physical, once again. So where do you put those 100 points? Like, just oh. shooting from the hip. Yeah, yeah, the, the big rock exercise. Um, sure. So when I was, um, it changes depending on the stage of the company, which is really interesting to me. Uh, well, I just meant in general for you, like Sansi's like personal, professional, physical, because there's a difference between what is occurring and what you would like to occur. And that's where I'm going, because, you know, you have we all have our own life and how we manage it. And then there's usually the way we'd like to do it. And there's a difference that there's it's not a zero sum game. It rarely, if ever, is the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You make such a good point. Yeah, on my on the professional side, um, there are things like uh, my values are to be humble, um, or the company values are to be humble, to ask for help, to celebrate accomplishment. Um, are three examples. On the uh, personal side, one is that I don't justify myself to others. That's something that's very important to me because I spent we talked about right. Um, then another one is to honor all beings. So just be a kind person that gives first. Uh, and then on the physical side, um, it is to, you know, it's funny, I didn't state any for physical, but for me, diet um, is very important. I find if I get uh, the exercise, um, if I fuel myself with good quality nutrients, and if I get the sleep that I need, that things tend to fall into place. <laughs> So those I'm not are... going to argue with. I'm not going to argue with you there. And th by the way, at full scale, the rumor is that I never sleep. And I, <laughs> it's because I don't. I sleep I, way less than I probably should. But yeah, so that's. I mean, that's. Uh, now you talk about creating value. If if you don't, it, and and actually, by the way, the answer I was looking for is typically would take a hundred percent of our effort. For me, it would be like seventy. It's set, like right now, it's about seventy percent professional, twenty percent personal maybe 10% physical. And oh, the at, oh, I see. I see. Yeah. yeah just a simple, yeah. like taking, you got a hundred percent of your own effort. Now, if I really wanted to it, now where that's my, that's my current reality, my current situation, what is different is my desired situation. So I'd rather mm -hmm. see the, the professional part be down around 50 and, mm -hmm. you know, like do some different stuff. Now, that, that, by the way, that balance is different for everyone because having written a book that kind of starts with that, it has a comparison there. People, well, what's the, what's the ideal number? 
I don't know. It's Who knows? Everybody. Yeah. I mean, because one person's not going to be happy with one, you know, with one of those, uh, you know, alignments and the other, the other person would be, but you can compare the two. So you have your, your current situation and your desired situation and you can literally, I mean, that's like that old, like uh, Ben Franklin T graph, you know, let's, let's put the pros on one side and the cons on the other, yeah. and compare, like where they add up. And in that situation, you know, like you said, it's, it's, uh, I mean, sometimes to step away and take a step back can be the greatest way that you can begin to provide value. Cause yeah. you know, you get, uh, uh, you also talk about if you're in those roles of business development and places you hear, no, it's, it's easy to believe that doors are constantly slamming in your face. Now, mm-hmm. the thing is, is the door is an inch from your face. You can't really tell me that you're not standing in a hallway full of open doors. So sometimes you just got to take a step back. You got to look around a little bit, see what's up. And, you know, I'm, I'm just a huge fan of tuning up anything, you know, yeah. like there's so many things that, you know, like I could out like all the shit I do wrong on a normal and recurring basis and like all of mm-hmm. the terrible things that I need to fix in, in, in my own, you know, habits. And, and those are the things, but if you're not aware of them, you know, like I said, if you can't, I, I in the, really my my thesis statement here is is if you can't begin to provide value for yourself, then it becomes very difficult to provide value for those around you, including the mm-hmm. business, your coworkers, your own family. So, yeah. okay, so so many, so we we got we got philosophical and and <laughs> in this episode, you know. So hopefully, those of you that are listening, you know, like. We're gonna we're gonna stare into crystals after this <laughs> our own future, perhaps. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Now, <laughs> now before we get into the founders freestyle and you know, we end our episodes of Startup Hustle where we we get into uh, uh, making a key point. Uh, you can really say whatever you want, but you can also find a link to Sansi's current company, Koala, and that is cleverly spelled with a Q U A. Uh, you can learn more about it by clicking that link and go check it out. Cause it is a company built all around creating and providing value mm-hmm. for yourself and your clients. Now, I, as promised, we end our episodes with the founders freestyle. So overall, if you had to make one statement or something along the lines of how to create value in the early stages, what are you leaning on? Give first. Give Give first. Yep. If you're going to do anything, provide some value before you ask for anything. It's the easiest way to forge or build relationships, um, to get information, to grow your company. Uh, it's your personal network is is giving. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I'm going to actually parlay off of that. And, you know, there's so many different phrases or things that look at this, uh, at this principle. And, you know, I, I say you have to make a deposit before mm. you can make a withdrawal. And by not mm-hmm. giving first or pro- offering to provide value or do something, if you're asking for some kind of return, you are the, you are literally like someone that is standing at the teller window of a bank that they don't have an account at. And you're saying, Hey, let me get, let me get 50 bucks. And they're like, you don't have, you haven't made any deposits here, ma'am or sir. And Mm -hmm. it's the same thing. So I actually, and normally don't do this. What are a couple, what are a couple simple ways to, and I mentioned a couple but what are a couple uh, things that you've learned about how to give first? Mm. 
there are really small tactical things that I do in an effort. Um, and then, you know, well, I'll start, start with the smaller ones. And I mentioned I do a lot of my networking over LinkedIn if I'm trying to expand my network. So things that I do if I ask to connect, I usually state what maybe I can provide. I notice that they have a background that's similar to my background, or maybe it's different in how it might be you know, helpful for us to connect and what we're looking to learn. I endorse them usually after our conversations on LinkedIn. Um, it's a really easy way to give them kudos and say thanks. If you talked about uh, leadership, if you talked about SaaS, if you talked about building, whatever it is, you can go on there and, and endorse them on LinkedIn. It's a few clicks of a button and it's really easy. Um, I make a lot of introductions as well. So I always ask, um, I, you know, thanking them for for providing time and mentioning that I have a really large network and I'm happy um, to introduce them to someone that or, or someone in a specific role that they're looking to chat with. Uh, so there, those are some of the small things I do to try to give first. In addition to the regular stuff that we all know about, where it's sharing a piece of content or a video of something you know that they're interested in, et cetera. I mean, the con the content, and those are, there's a reason that those were fourth, fifth, or sixth on the list, and you didn't mention those. I mean, you know, talking about, well, stating what kind of value you can provide is a great way to lead a com into a conversation. Like, because, uh, you know, you look at LinkedIn and, I'm connected to 23,000 people on LinkedIn and it feels on some days as if all of them are sending me messages. Yeah. So, you know, it's like the question, it's like, and you don't provide value by saying, I noticed that we have a lot of connections in common and I'd really mm. love to talk, talk to you about how. So what that said is, I see you know a lot of people I'd like to know. I'd really like to figure out how I can get you to make that make sense for me. That's mm -hmm. not a great lead, you know? Mm -hmm. And like when, what Sansi's mentioning, well, an example could be, you know, like, all right, so if I reached out and made a connection to someone that ran a venture capital firm, I'd say, you know what, I talked to a, a lot of the clients that we work with at full scale, as well as the guests that I have on Startup Hustle are people I think you'd really you'd really want to talk to not all of them, but some of them. And I'd, I'd like to have a conversation about that. Now, all of a sudden now, now there's interest. And I mm -hmm. uh, remember that the world's most popular radio station is W I I W I I F M, which the call letters for that stand for what's in it for me. Mm. It is actually what everyone's tuned into. So you need to be broadcasting on that network um, you know, and that's how you get people's attention. I mean, some mm -hmm. of the other things you talk about endorsements and intros, all of these things we mentioned, none of which cost any money to do. They're mm -hmm. all about your effort, your time and your focus, but try to make them matter and try to make them meaningful. That's all I have to yeah. say. Thanks for joining me, Sansi. I'll, I'll see you next time. Thank you so much. Yep. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.